today, which is kind of a, a, a well, we'll get there. Uh, before, we, <laughs> before we get there, though, I thought it'd be kind of fun to, to just kind of throw a few funnies out at you. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to a friend? Think about the advice you might give to a friend. I found some uh, pieces of advice on the internet, which you know is very trustworthy. So uh, Mark Twain, he says this. This is what I found. Mark Twain says, never argue with a stupid person. Okay, they'll drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. It's wisdom, right? That's wisdom. Okay, how about this one? Life is scary. Get used to it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, better days are just around the corner. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Good? Um, I love these. are fun. Okay, life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Uh, you already know this one. The early bird gets the worm, but it's the second mouse that gets the cheese. Okay? Yep. <laughs> it took a second. It took a second. Okay. All right. I, I like this one. Uh, actually, there's one that I picked specifically because I know kids are back at school. And actually, uh, what's fun is I think that there are some sixth graders in here uh, today because they've moved up from kids' church. So you get me one more time uh, in here. But uh, this one I grabbed because it says, Dear Math, please grow up and solve your own problems. I'm tired of solving them for you. <laughs> Uh, and this one is probably my favorite. You never realize what you have until it's gone. Toilet paper is a good example. <laughs> uh, this one's really deep. Common sense is like deodorant. Those who need it the most never use it. All right. And, and this is true around my house. Cleaning is just putting stuff in less obvious places. And gentlemen, you'll appreciate this one. No man has ever won the game of notice anything different. <laughs> all right, all right. There is there's a wealth of knowledge on the internet you can find. Silly, goofy stuff, it's good. Uh, but in God's word, we know it's true. And so today we're going to hear from Solomon, who was considered to be very wise. Uh, we're going to talk about him. He actually wrote a lot of the Proverbs, wrote Song of Solomon. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, though, is where we're going to end up uh, talking through mostly today. But he was known for wisdom. And, and the thing is, we can lean into that wisdom because God's the one who gave it to him. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God appeared to Solomon and offered to give him whatever he desired. Okay, I just have to say, wow, first of all, because can you imagine if the God of the universe asked you and said, uh, I will offer you whatever it is you want? What, what, would you, what would you think? I mean, my goodness, uh, enough money that I'm never having to worry about it, uh, success, maybe fame, maybe beauty, maybe a really long life so I can watch my kids grow old. I don't know. But Solomon, he asked for wisdom, right? Wow. Okay, so here it is. It's actually in Second Chronicles. I'm not making it up. For chapter 1, it says this. Solomon says, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God answered to Solomon. He said, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Amazing, right? Like he got extra. 
He asked for wisdom and he still got all the extra. And, and what you'll know if you, if you read a little bit more about King Solomon is he didn't always use his wisdom well because of all the extra. Uh, he did make some poor choices too. Uh, I make poor choices. I'm sure that you probably would agree that you do too. So I guess we can't really blame it too much. But what we can do is see uh, where he came with that. He, he kind of wrote, he wrote Ecclesiastes kind of toward the end of this struggle through his life. And here's what he said. If you look at Ecclesiastes, the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, chapter one, verse two, he uses this word twice, meaningless. He says it twice, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is, is meaningless. And what's funny is uh, when Pastor Greg asked what I would be teaching on while he was gone, and I told him, oh, I really feel like the Lord's put this on my heart. I'm going to talk about this. And I was kind of waiting for him to say no. But instead, he goes, you know, that was the first book that made sense to me. <laughs> so I said, okay, all right, then we'll just run with it uh, because I know I can relate, I know you can relate too. Uh, and here's, here's where it is. For me, growing up, I had a really hard time connecting with what seemed to be the reality in the world around me to what I was taught in the Bible because I, I didn't understand how there could be uh, so much poverty in our world. I understand how there could be so much evil or destruction, hate, jealousy, crime. You know what I'm saying, right? How, how one person could be fine stealing from somebody and then get really mad at somebody else from stealing, I don't know, a piece of gum from them, right? Uh, there's just that the heart of, of people toward evil is real. And, and the kids, kids are born into poverty. They didn't choose that life to be born into it. And the mom who wants a baby, but can't get pregnant, and then hears about a baby who was born with an addiction to heroin or homeless on the street. And, and here my Bible teaches me that God loves all people and that he created this world. And, and what that means to me is that he created both those born into poverty and those born into prosperity. He created those people who do evil and those who do good. And then I read in this book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, Solomon cries out. He even says, chasing after the wind. And everything around me suddenly made sense. Because it spoke to my common experience, right? I was thinking, what is the point? Now, obviously, I wouldn't be standing here today if, there, if that was the end of the story. So, so please, hold on, because there's so much more. But I want to pause here for a minute, because in my mind as a child, I was like, man, consider those who are healthy and those who are sick, those, those who are wealthy and those who are poor, uh, gender differences, the color of our skin, uh, intelligence, uh, metabolism, you name it. As a child, I said, man, does, does God love one more than the other? And the answer, of course, is no. God's love is for all people. God loves you completely. He wants you to trust him no matter what your physical condition or situation that you're in. And the truth is, without the spirit of God, life is, in fact, meaningless. And that's what Solomon is going to teach us today. What God wanted me to understand as a child. And the, he, he, what he's teaching us today as well is that the truths of the Bible are the same for me and for you and for the person who appears to be less fortunate and for the person who appears to have more. His, his love is the same for those who choose to follow him and those who choose to walk away from him. The same for those who are sick and, and those who are healthy. So my question that I have to start us off with today is, is would my faith in God be as strong if my situation were different? If my comforts were taken away. And this is really difficult, isn't it? 
because the majority of the time my needs are met. I may not be suffering like some people do. And so it kind of becomes easy to take all that we have for granted and in all honesty, still complain because it doesn't seem to be enough. Right? Consider um, my not enough in light of someone less fortunate because my not enough is their hope for better. Just like my hope for better is someone else's not enough. But what if my health changed? What if I became unable to walk or to speak or to hear? Because what I've learned is that um, we have a God who loves us. And his love is the same for the deaf, the blind, the paraplegic, the, the cancer-stricken, the autistic, the sick, the poor. God's love is the same. And if our view of God is different than that, then, then we're missing. So we're going to jump in and read a little bit more of Ecclesiastes. Um, I'm going to keep in chapter one, but I'm going to end up jumping through the book pretty quickly because I don't necessarily feel like we have enough time to read 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. But, uh, and you'll be grateful, right? You can read it later, but I'll point out a few of them. And I'm going to jump to, to verse 12 of chapter one. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whew. Jump to chapter 2, and he says this, the first verse of chapter 2. I said to myself, come, now I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Jump down to verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now jump to verse 17, he says this, this is the most depressing part ever. So I hated my life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Like I said, wow, right? Depressing. I kind of said at this point, man, this guy needs a hug, right? Okay, but, but I don't want you to miss, I mean, it is in the Bible. So it's worth talking about, right? Don't miss this significance. King Solomon was given great wisdom, he was given great wealth, great popularity, great success. And yet, in his wisdom and wealth and popularity and success, he declared it all meaningless. He was popular. He was successful. He was well-known and desired. He was a king. So he was important. You name it, he was that man. And he, in his achievements of great knowledge, said, it's not enough. He achieved incredible wealth, and he said, it's not enough. He achieved great popularity and success, and, and you read that part. It said he denied himself nothing. To me, that means he partied hard, gave himself up to his own pleasures and desires, drank to his heart's content, and still concluded that it was all meaningless, that none of it fulfilled his heart. Everything he said was like chasing after the wind. So that's another question we have to ask ourselves. Am I chasing after a wind? What wind am I chasing after? Am I, am I chasing after success or wealth? Am I chasing after popularity or fame? Even great knowledge. Solomon says it's all meaningless like chasing after the wind. He says you'll never catch it. You'll never be satisfied. 
Think about how different our lives would be if we weren't dependent on more for our happiness. It's a black hole, right? You'll never be satisfied. More will never be happy. Now, before I turn around, I promise I will, I have to read one quote because this is our friend, our childhood friend, Mr. Rogers, right? Happy guy? Okay, but he came to a very similar conclusion. This is what he said. He said, nothing you can buy will take away your loneliness, fill your emptiness, or heal your brokenness. That happy guy, that's what he said. But I have to share with you now, finally, the significance. We got through the hard part, right? Okay, Solomon may have used that word meaningless 37 times in just those 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, but he also used the phrase under the sun, S-U-N. He used that word 29 times. Don't miss that. We will find meaning in Christ, the S-O-N. There is meaning before God, our creator, our heavenly father, our savior, the one who loves us so completely, who knows us fully, who desires a relationship with us. He loves us enough to die on the cross, not just for our sin, uh, but he also gives us a choice whether or not to choose to follow him. That's love. That's meaning. What we're learning is that all things under the S-U-N, son, are meaningless without God. So in truth, there really isn't anything wrong with having wealth or success or gaining great knowledge or even status. It becomes a problem when that is where our security and our hope are placed. When, when those things become what we follow and seek after instead of God. So I have to ask you something. Have you ever been the victim of false advertisement? One, two, that's it. Okay, I'm speaking to two of you. I'm teasing. Everybody's been a victim of false advertising before, whether it's a phone call or an ad on the TV or whatever. Uh, I have a couple funnies to give you, and then we'll go deeper. But uh, um, maybe a diet that promises the best results, the easiest way to lose weight, the right plan for you. And I always tell my kids stuff like this. I say, until it's not. Okay, uh, the car that was the best on the market, uh, a phone that has no match, some cream that will work miracles, uh, maybe a dating site that's like the most authentic. Uh, there's many brands out there on the market and every single one of them is superior to the others, right? Okay, until they're not. All right, did you know that there are 32 different types of Colgate toothpaste on the market? Colgate alone has 32 choices. How will you ever decide which one's best? Don't worry, they have an app. And if you go to their website, you can determine which one is the best fit for you. I'm serious, it's really there. Uh, But in truth, uh, you know, truly, false advertising is real. And and, and in a more serious note, uh, take alcohol, for example, right? advertises pleasure and fun and parties all the time. But do you know someone who's an alcoholic? Do they look like any of those people you see in commercials? Are they having fun, partying it up with no strings attached, skinny, beautiful, laughing, all of that? That's false advertisement, isn't it? Because in truth, 
being drunk and leading it through alcohol into a kind of a drunken lifestyle actually doesn't lead to any of that at all, does it? It leads more to depression, anxiety, pain, even broken relationships and hurt. Take drugs, for example. Man, people will say it's fun. You might have experimented with it and you think it feels amazing, but what you're not or what the advertisement doesn't say is the result of that kind of life. That maybe there might be this pleasure in the moment, but it leads to pain, to regret or embarrassment, to frustration, and an addiction cycle that you'll feel powerless to end. I have to use this one too because all my sixth graders are here. They used to be fifth graders, now they're sixth graders, so I apologize. But what about casual sex, right? It's a claim to be the most amazing thing. It's totally fun and awesome, right? Pleasure for a moment. But you know the truth. The truth is it brings shame. The truth is it brings disappointment, maybe a sense of worthlessness or loneliness or, or there's a lot of gossip around that, maybe even drama, Right? Take lying, for example. Sometimes it seems a lot easier just to tell a lie. And maybe it's even kind of fun to get away with it. But does it ever end well? No. Mm -mm. Think about stealing or greed, selfishness, social pressures. All the social pressures, it's all the same, right? All the stuff in our world that we think will be good or beneficial But we're buying into a lie. That comes from Romans 125. It says this, They traded the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Those words are very purposeful. Worshipped and served. That's what's happening when we choose those other paths. So here we have Matthew 7. I have to bring this one up. Matthew 7, 13 says this. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. You know what it is that you might be dealing with right now. Maybe it's an attitude that you're justifying or a lifestyle that you bought into. Or maybe some sort of an ideal in your life that's kind of promised you all good things. But maybe in your heart, you know the truth that you might be on the wide path that will ultimately lead to destruction. Maybe you keep seeking and searching for an easy answer, whether it is wealth or fame or pleasure or just stuff, and you're finding that it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Instead of all that that you thought, you're finding yourself in a place where you feel lonely or depressed or afraid, maybe frustrated, filled with anxiety or doubt, Maybe emptiness is there. You feel alone, defeated, maybe even unstable. I wonder if that describes anyone here today, because I'll tell you, friends, that is false advertisement. All of these things, they promise a kind of freedom, but in the end, bring a deeper bondage. That's what it is to trade the truth of God for a lie. King Solomon knew this. He wrote 12 chapters about it. We're going to jump to chapter 5, verse 10. He says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Jump down to verse 15. He says, Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Understand. 
What this is showing us is that many of us will find ourselves in some sort of bed at the end of our days, whether in sickness or old age. And from my understanding is nobody ever asks for someone to bring them all their money just to hold on to for their last breaths or, or all their possessions displayed around them or trophies from all the things they've accomplished. It just shouldn't take us that long to realize what's important. I read to you Matthew seven thirteen. wide is the road and broad is, I will say, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Well, verse 14 says this. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And it's not just, it's not because God is trying to hide it. It's, it's not because um, only a few, he only wants a few to find it. No way. As a matter of fact, God's word tells me that all are invited. All are welcome. All are even pointed towards it. But few choose it. Why? Because God's way doesn't always look like freedom. It doesn't promise all the light and the glamour and the popularity. As a matter of fact, this narrow path requires sacrifice and obedience. But it does lead to a joy like none other. A true kind of freedom. Like a good father, God has given us some guidelines that are meant for our benefit, for our good, because of his love for us. He warns us not to get drunk because he knows where it leads. He warns us not to put our security in money because he knows there's no satisfaction there. He warns us not to commit adultery because he knows the destruction that causes. He warns us not to gossip or to be jealous of others or to lie or to steal or to cheat or to judge others harshly because he knows the destruction each of these things will cause. He is a loving father and he's filled this book right here with his love and his guidance. He knows that it will produce meaning and purpose and blessing and freedom in Christ. And, and, and that when we choose to walk down this path, that's where we'll find peace Joy, love, compassion, forgiveness, beauty, and a freedom that that wide road will never be able to satisfy. So, so I would say this, wide is the road of meaninglessness, of foolishness, of emptiness, of fear and, and bondage and anxiety, but narrow is the road of hope and purpose, and life eternal, and abundant. Matthew sixteen twenty six says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Let's look a little bit more at Ecclesiastes. We'll jump to chapter 11, verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or, the, or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Another translation says this, As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. As hard as we try, Science will never be able to fully understand how the body is formed into a living, breathing person or even a plant or animal, how it actually does what it does to have life. I mean, we can explain what's happening. 
in the process, and we can even come to understand a lot of how life develops, but we cannot create the way God creates life. And, and that until he breathes life into the bones, until he does what he does, what we have is nothing. And the way I see it, uh, and the correlation I believe Solomon is making is that while we cannot fully comprehend all the plans of God, we have enough evidence right here in the Bible to trust it. And Solomon is teaching us that when God breathes on something, that is where we'll find meaning. We don't know how he put uh, his spirit into the bones of an unborn child. We don't know how he gave breath to Adam from the dust. I mean, don't miss it. That's the dirt. He put breath into that and Adam came to life. We don't know how he did that. But what we do know is that his breath gives life. You may not know how God will use your situation I don't know how God's going to use this message. But what I do know is that if he doesn't breathe on it, it will amount to nothing. That, that if he doesn't bring this message to life, it's meaningless. That if we don't turn our hearts toward him with everything that we do, it's meaningless. I mean, ask God. This is my challenge to you. Ask him to breathe on your life. And then trust that he's going to do a mighty work through you in whatever your circumstance is. We may not know all of the why questions around us, but we can trust in the maker, our creator. Look at chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, the very end there, verse 13, he says, the conclusion of the matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. And he doesn't mean fear like afraid. He means fear like revere, in awe, with the understanding that his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than yours. And so his commands are there to protect you, to give you a different kind of freedom, not false advertisement or meaninglessness. Think about it. For a child, there is so much more freedom when they're playing in the yard with the toys that were designed for him. But there is true danger right outside the fence where the cars are speeding by. So stay inside the fence. In reverence, obey your heavenly father because his boundaries are for your protection and joy. Here's one more application for us today. I'm going to kind of summarize a parable that Jesus taught. It comes from the book of Matthew chapter 13. He tells a parable uh, about a farmer who plants good seeds of wheat. And then while no one was looking, there's an enemy that plants weeds among the wheat. And when the farmer sees the weeds, he tells the workers to leave the weeds so that they won't risk pulling up the wheat in the process. And what I love about that parable is the farmer says, let both grow together until the harvest. And the harvest is like the end of the age. We're going to learn about that because this parable is actually a story that Jesus told to his people to help them understand the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to read right from starting at verse 37. I'm actually going to read what the parable means so that we can take an application from it. Uh, but this is Jesus explained the parable. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. 
The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And, and I read that because even though this parable specifically is talking about the world, people who follow God, people who don't, the kingdom of heaven, even though that's what this is specifically about, this parable got me thinking. How does someone become a weed? Because the devil is the one planting the weeds, and we know that he cannot create people. So if the devil cannot create people, then the bad seed he is planting is in the heart of a grain of wheat. Right? Because God's the only one that can create. So, so if, that's, if that's, this is just my thinking. If, if, if God is, is creating and the devil is planting weeds, then that means that in, in my heart, I might have some weeds uh, that are trying to choke out the wheat right here in my own heart. The same is true of the others around you. But, but what that means to me is this. One, there's always hope for the weeds. And two, I also need to be careful of the weeds trying to choke out my wheat. Let me explain a little bit. You know about seeds. They start very small, right? Uh, and, and it takes time for them to grow and then take root. So that means that the sin in our lives has some roots, right? The nasty things in our hearts actually started a long time ago. That means that the physical representation of our sin started in the heart and is now taking root among your wheat. Are you with me? All right, so, and if you want to see change, this is my challenge, if you want to see change, uh, you have to give more focus to strengthening the wheat so that the weeds don't choke it out of you. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Be present here among your church family serve together, pray together, read God's word together, worship together, join together, become a part of a grow group. I don't know, go to the women's events or the men's events. Get connected in your church. That's why I think it's amazing that we have people willing to lead those ministries because there's so many ways for you to be connected. And that, when you're connected, it's going to be a lot harder for those weeds to grow. Right? As a matter of fact, it will strengthen the wheat in you right? All the negative stuff that we see has roots and those roots started deep down inside and those weeds, man, they're going to have a hard time growing when you're present in the house of God. So my challenge is surround yourself with the truths from God, right? Another thought that I had about seeds is oftentimes, you know, seeds will lay dormant for a season because they're multiplying under the surface. Um, and, and there may be things that you're asking God to remove from your life. And maybe it's a sickness or a disease or some sort of adversity from someone else. And I'd say right here not to look at your neighbor. But maybe, maybe God is intending to use it in your life to mature you or even to give help to someone else. I mean, remember, we may not know all the plans of God. But what looks like a nasty weed in your life might have some wheat laying dormant below it, just multiplying for the plans of God through you, waiting for an opportunity to spring up for the glory of God. So even what may seem nasty can be turned for God's purpose. This isn't a true story, but it's just an analogy. I would say that there's a kid uh, at school who might be persecuting my son. And that might be a weed, 
but under it is growing in my son and multiplying a heart of compassion for the lost, a patience for those who need Jesus, and roots of love that will grow deeper and grow to maturity beside that weed. Man, and that kid has his own wheat that might be weaker, even being choked out by his own weeds. And when he sees my son being kind to him, his wheat might start to grow too. And then there's hope for change that begins right there by our own actions and how we interact with people on a daily basis. The way I see it, we have a choice. We can allow weeds of bitterness and frustration and disappointment and anger to grow up and around our situation, or we can start praising God for what he can do through you. And I use that word so intentionally, praising God, because it is hard to praise him in the storm, isn't it? But God says this, if you would turn your heart and start praising me for what I'm going to do through it, then that is where you're going to see change. If you can turn and start praising him even when life is hard, your perspective will be different and God's glory will shine through it. I promise every time. The truth is, in all honesty, without the struggle, you wouldn't understand the blessing of kindness or compassion or even love. And the hard stuff, it gives us a deeper appreciation for the good, doesn't it? Look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's, uh, some believe that he had this nasty eye disease. And he called it, uh, if, you re if you've read this before, uh, he called it his thorn in the flesh, is what he said. And Paul uh, asked God three times to remove it. But God answered, and this comes from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says, my grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. See, Paul understood that sometimes the weeds need to remain so that the power of God can work through it. He claimed in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 12 that he would be content in weakness, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. Look at Romans 8.18. It says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can I declare that nothing is meaningless, not even the weeds, when it is surrendered for the glory of God and the increase of his kingdom? That our light can shine out of darkness to declare that we have a mighty God whose plans and purposes are for good. That instead of asking God to remove all the weeds, that we would ask him to show us the way to break through them. That, that in all times and circumstances and places, that we would worship our Father in heaven. Because it's his name that's worthy to be praised and lifted high. That he can work through whatever situation. That, that he wants to work through whatever it is you're dealing with. But again, you have that choice to either allow weeds of bitterness to grow or the Father to speak through it with you. To allow him and trust him enough to break through, to help you break through whatever difficulty you're facing. Think about it this way. There might be pain in the process, but there is peace in the perseverance, right? Remember this question that I asked earlier, would your faith change if your situation changed? Is your security in the things of this world that Solomon would declare meaningless? Wealth, status, popularity, physical appearance, worldly knowledge. 
All of those things stay here when we die. Or is your security in Christ, the author of your life? Romans 1.25, remember that verse? I already read it. It says, they traded the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. My question is this, where is our focus? Where's your focus? On the creation or on the creator? Because there's a big difference, isn't there? I'm going to end with a story. Uh, You know, not that long ago, I was really struggling in my own heart with my own attitude. And and I think, honestly, that's the reason that the Lord put this passage on my heart to share with you. I I, I think he put it there because I was already struggling, right? I know, in truth, I admit that I can be a fairly high-intensity person. I push myself really hard. Um, and, and it's nothing bad. It just sometimes amounts to a lot. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Too many sports activities for your kids. I don't know, the, the agenda, the list. Somehow we are, we are a culture that creates much in our world. And so sometimes it amounts to a lot. And then all of a sudden I start thinking, ah, sleep, it's overrated. Right? And uh, my house chores, ah, they can wait. But I was even putting friendships on hold and leisure time on the sidelines, and that's not what God wants either. All the things I was doing, like I said, they weren't bad. I just, I lost my focus somewhere along the way. And and since I am, I have to admit, since I am getting a little older, my metabolism is a little harder to keep up with, okay? And there are pains, Okay, I have never dealt with before. And if you're young, people told me this for a long time. Yeah, pains are real. And I did not believe them because my body felt fine. Okay, I'm getting older and the pains are really there. And I was having this trouble with my knee. um, And I would look at my kids running freely and I would think, it must be nice to run without pain. All right, and so then in that, to be honest, a little root of bitterness and frustration started to grow. Not because my kids could run. I love that they can run. But because my situation was not perfect. My situation wasn't the way I thought it should be. And so these, these things, this bitterness, this frustration just started to take seed. And then my job felt harder. And then my kids seemed to be testier. And my house, it wasn't cleaning itself. My laundry was not doing itself. And I could not add any more hours to the day for my friends and leisure activities. You get the idea. And, 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 and I'll even say I broke my toe. Not even joking. I broke my toe at the end of all this. And I just hit this point where I was frustrated. I lost my focus. I was losing joy because I turned my heart towards stuff and, and my own expectation of what should be my perfect life, right? I started to get pretty cranky with other people. And that is when uh, Jesus reminded me about the troubles in our world, about hardships around us, about life when it doesn't seem to be going the way I think it should. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That in this world, don't miss it, in this world you will have trouble. And he says this, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, Jesus wins. 
Like, I know the end of the story. And what I think is really awesome is I didn't pick the worship songs today. Uh, they, they, Pastor Weston picked that out all on his own. And yet they all speak exactly to this. That there was one a verse that said, I know how the story ends. And the story that no matter what, the end of the story will be the same. Because I have chosen to follow Jesus. And my challenge to you would be the same. Choose to follow Jesus because in it you know the end of the story. That we have an eternity with him that will never spoil, perish, or fade. Jesus wins. And it's funny how God teaches us because when I finally sat on the floor and surrendered my heart, my health, my strength, and my time to Jesus, I found peace. When I stopped long enough to turn my heart toward heaven, I couldn't complain anymore. Not when I'm talking to Jesus, the one who sacrificed his life for me. And the truth is, my posture and my attitude are a whole lot different when I am worshiping my creator. And and I know you love an overcoming story. So just so you know, um, my knee is feeling better. I am back to running. My broken toe is healing. And, uh, you know, things that that part of, of things are better. But the truth is, not until I learned that lesson. So even in that, God was teaching me something big. And then he was putting it on my heart to even share some of that with you. Isn't that amazing how God works? In the right time, in the right season, in the right place always. Man, we can let stuff choke us or we can turn toward our Savior to free us. Will you stand with me and we will pray together. While you're standing, I'm going to read one more verse because I really fabulous note. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that, we can, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. I'm going to pray for us really quick. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you teach us in your word. I thank you that we can come together, that we can gather together, and that, Lord, through the gathering, you will strengthen us. And God, I pray for those who are having a hard time. God, there are some struggles they're dealing with. I pray that we would be a people that would encourage them and help them through those trials. God, I pray that you would use it and that you would grow a mighty work in every one of those cases, God, that you are bigger than whatever it is we're dealing with, that you love us so completely, God, and that your purposes for us are good. We thank you, God. We pray that you'll just bless this week ahead of us. God, I pray as we go from here that we would see opportunity to encourage other people. God, that we would see opportunity uh, maybe with people who are struggling around us. God, that we would be the people that would help them. That we might give that little bit of extra grace or patience or whatever is needed. God, give us a sensitivity to know how to love others better. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week, guys. We'll see you next time.